The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9 a.m., 10.30 a.m., or 12 p.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. One of the most beloved characters in the world of Charlie Brown is his best friend, Linus Van Pelt. Now, you may uh, be familiar with Linus. Here's a picture of of Linus, if you're not familiar. Linus is one of the most beloved characters. Uh, According to Charles Schultz, the creator, he said that Linus is the house intellectual. He's the one that kind of has the sagely advice. He's the one that often has, says something profound to the rest of the characters. But the thing that is most memorable about Linus is, of course, his trusty blanket. He is almost never without his blanket. In fact, whole themes and comic strips and movies and books are surround his blanket and not only all the things he can do with his blanket, he can sling snowballs with his blanket and all these different things, but how much he's devoted to this blanket and how there's even one uh, episode where he um, loans out his blanket and nearly has a nervous breakdown. Okay, He is very close to this security blanket that he has. And it brings up a lot of tension between Linus and his older sister, Lucy. And Lucy hates the blanket, wants him to give up the blanket, and that, that theme actually comes out in the Charlie Brown Christmas special. And there's a moment when all of the characters, they are rehearsing for their Christmas play, and the blanket becomes a little bit of an issue. Okay, check out this scene. You may remember it. Linus, you've got to get rid of that stupid blanket. And here, memorize these lines. I can't memorize these lines. This is ridiculous. Memorize it and be ready to recite when your cue comes. I can't memorize something like this so quickly. Why should I be put through such agony? Give me one good reason why I should memorize this. I'll give you five good reasons. One, two, three, four, five. Those are good reasons. Christmas is not only getting too commercial, it's getting too dangerous. And get rid of that stupid blanket. What's a Christmas shepherd going to look like holding a stupid blanket like that? Well, this is one Christmas shepherd who's going to keep his trusty blanket with him. See, you wouldn't hit an innocent shepherd, would you? The thing that is so endearing about Linus and his blanket is that's such a common phenomenon for children. And whether it's finding a blanket or a stuffed animal or or a toy or something that they hold on to, they carry around, they're maybe never without. So many children, when they're young, they have something like that for security. It's familiar. It's comfortable. It's there's something safe about having that there. And that's a really interesting dynamic within childhood. Why is that so instinctual for a child to have a blanket or something like that that's part of their security? Why is that so instinctual? Well, there's something fundamental, something rudimentary in the human experience that even from like early on, we are motivated and seeking after a sense of security. 
There's something so foundational. In fact, we may grow out of having a blanket, an actual physical tangible blanket, but there are other things that we use throughout the rest of our life to cover ourselves with security. And that is a common motivator in our life is the pursuit of things that are safe, familiar, comfortable, trying to control circumstances to make sure that we feel safe and secure. Now, what we typically do when we're thinking about security is we typically address all of the symptoms of feeling insecure in some capacity. But what the passage we're going to look at this morning, it addresses the core issue behind security, and it goes right to the heart of our feelings of insecurity, addresses those things in a profound way, and it has a message for every single one of us about how there's something that took place at Christmas Even though that first Christmas was so many thousands of years ago, there's something that took place at Christmas that can speak into our lives today no matter where that place of insecurity is. And it can breathe life into that. We're going to look in um, this book called Micah chapter 5. This is the passage that we've been studying through this Christmas series. We're looking at Micah chapter 5. Micah is a prophet, which means he gets a, a message from God that he's supposed to speak to God's people. And the book of Micah, this message, was received about 700 years before the time of Christ. And he's speaking into a very tense time. And so this is a timely message for God's people. It's a message of hope when they would have been really, really, really receptive for a message like that. At this time period, the context that this is taking place in, in Jerusalem outside Judea, the Assyrians, this enemy army, is knocking at the door. They are about to attack Jerusalem, and it is terrifying. They've already, the people in this, the lower kingdom of Judah have already seen uh, the Assyrians attack their northern brothers and sisters in Israel. They've already seen that. They know what the Assyrians are capable of. And so this is a time that is terrifying to be living in Jerusalem. And it is in this moment that God sends this message of hope in Micah chapter 5. Let's look and see what it says. We're going to start in verse 2. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can open there. It's also going to be up here on the screens. Micah 5 verse 2 says this. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah... From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. All right, let's pause just on that verse and unpack it a little bit. He's speaking to the people of Judah, but he is actually directly speaking to this one little village named Bethlehem. Now, we're familiar with that word now so many years later, but at the time, this was a relatively small, insignificant village outside of Jerusalem. And he says, he speaks to this little town, this little village of Bethlehem. He says, you little Bethlehem, even though you're, you're not that great in comparison to the other cities, you're not this big, thriving, powerful city, out of you, I'm going to bring forth a ruler. Not just any ruler, the ruler that I've promised from ancient times. 
Now, what's interesting in this language, it's almost war language when he says you are not a, a big clan. It, that language in there is war language. In other words, it's essentially saying it's not like Bethlehem that when the, the trumpet has been blown for everyone to mount up and get ready for war, that a bunch of warriors are going to flood out of Bethlehem. You're not gonna, there's not like a huge army in Bethlehem. You're this small little village. But out of this village, I'm going to call a ruler. Now, this is about 700 years before the time of Christ. So let's put this in perspective, okay? We can just kind of skim over 700 years, but let, let's just kind of get a feel for what a gap like 700 years is. 700 years ago from today, 700 years ago, there was a guy named William Wallace running around mounting a revolt for, the Scot, for, for Scotland against England. Now imagine that someone said something back then in the early 1300s that didn't come true until today. That's like the feel of 700 years. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, the, the world was given a heads up that the, this ruler, this promised ruler from ancient times will be born in Bethlehem. Now fast forward those 700 years and let's enter into the Christmas story. You may remember there are these characters, sometimes they're called kings, but they're more technically called wise men or magi. And they see a star in the sky. And, and it's God speaking through the stars. They study the stars, and so God is speaking through the stars, te- and he's telling them that a significant king has been born to the Jews. And they follow that star, and they come to the Jewish people to ask them some questions about this king. Now, I want to read through this, this story because it's familiar, but there's some interesting things in here. Here's what it says. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. Now watch this and tell me if this sounds familiar. It was written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Here's how the story goes. These magi come from the east. They're following the star. They show up in Jerusalem. They talk to King Herod. And they say, hey, is there a king? We saw in the stars that there's a king born. Where is he born? Now, if you know anything about this guy, Herod, he is super paranoid as a ruler. And so when he hears that, he is not happy that another king so significant has been born that travelers from hundreds of miles away have shown up. So he gathers all of the chief scholars of the Bible. And he pulls them together. He says, okay, where is the anointed one, the Christ, the promised Messiah? Where is he supposed to be born? And they say, well, we've been told. We know exactly where he's born. He's born in Bethlehem, just that little village, just, just a little bit south of us. And then they quote a prophet. And what do they quote? They quote Micah chapter 5. That's the very verses read to the wise men that sent them down to Bethlehem. Now, here's what's interesting about this passage. Of all places that the wise men thought to come when a king was born, where did they go? 
Well, of course they went to Jerusalem. It's the historic city. It's a city of power. It's a city up on the side of this hill. It's a city well fortified, this incredibly historically beautiful temple with walls all the way around and palaces. It's a place that, that David was in a thousand years before the great warrior David. I mean, it's the city of David. Of course, that's where a king is going to be born. They go to Jerusalem looking for that king. But once again, it's cemented that this ruler is not born where you'd expect. He's born in this little village called Bethlehem, this humble little village that is not a place you expect some kind of military might to come from. That's where the wise men went. Now, I want you just to take this little piece. I want you to put a pin in it for a second because we're going to come back to the, to the fact that he was born in Bethlehem. Let's go back to Micah and let's keep going. Micah 5, verse 3. It says this, <clears throat> Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. All right, I want to just stop on this for one second. I want to get to verse 4. But before we do that, let's just stop for a second and and unpack what this is saying because it's interesting. What this is saying is he's preparing the the Jewish people. He's preparing them, hey, until this ruler is born, things are going to be a little shaky. He says, I'm going to give you up until the time that this ruler is born. And he prepares them. He says, okay, it's not, there's going to be some insecure times. There's going to be enemies knocking at the door. Things are not going to be going super smooth. And then this ruler is going to be born in Bethlehem. And that's when everything is going to change from then on. When that ruler is going to be born. And here's what he specifically says. He's going to gather all of his people together He's going to gather them all together once that ruler has been born. He uses this language, I'm going to gather all the brothers. I want you to notice this family language he uses. He's like, God's saying, I'm gathering all of my family together. Okay, let's keep going. We're going to come back to that too. Verse 4. And he shall stand, this is that ruler, he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Put yourself for a second as one of the citizens of Jerusalem. Like, put yourself there. Assyrians, these brutal, violent, army is potentially going to attack at any time. You have no idea what's going to happen to your family, what's going to happen to your city. Are you going to be killed? Are you going to be dragged off into exile? What's going to be tortured? You have no idea what's going to happen. Can you imagine the fear and the terror? And can you imagine how receptive you would be to this message that one day you will dwell secure? What beautiful language. One day you'll live in a land and you'll be there permanently. You'll remain there. You'll abide there. You'll be, perf- you'll be there and, and you will be secure. You'll be safe. Nothing will ever happen to you. You will be secure. Can you imagine how much they just wanted to be able to exhale and say that they felt secure? Rebecca and I um, went to college in Indiana. That's where I met uh, my wife, Rebecca. And um, they have a phenomenon up in northern Indiana that they don't have in South Florida. It's called a corn maze. 
Okay, and late in the fall, when the corn is really, uh, it's grown way up tall, you can't see over the corn, they go into these fields, they'll set aside part of the field, and they'll, they'll create this pathway through there, and it's a maze. And at certain times close to the Halloween time, they'll actually have a corn maze, but they will make it a haunted corn maze, okay? And you can actually pay money to get your life shortened by a couple years by going through that corn maze. And so my wife and I decided, we were dating at the time, we decided to get some friends together and to go do a haunted corn maze. And we went there, we actually paid money. I don't know why in hindsight we ever did that. But we go in there and it's all dark. There's barely any lights. We're going through and you're turning this corner. And as you turn this corner, you're walking. All of a sudden, someone with a chainsaw runs from behind and scares you. And after that, I don't remember what happened in the haunted corn maze. All I remember is shrieking and squealing and screaming and Rebecca trying to comfort me, okay? It was absolutely terrifying, okay? And like a month later when we finished the corn maze, okay, I remember getting in the car. And I remember, I mean, you're just, you're, you're just so wired at this point. Your nerves are so raw, okay? I just remember getting in the car and like locking the door and being like, oh, is there anyone in my back seat? You know, looking back there and be like, okay, and just driving away. And it was just this exhale, Okay. I don't know what it would be like to live in Jerusalem at that time and knowing the impending, like, literal, physical, tangible horror that might be marching through those gates. But can you imagine how much they just longed, like, ached to just know that they would dwell secure one day? That just to have that like thorough exhale that everything was going to be safe one day. This message from God through Micah is this message of security is so unbelievably powerful. And here's what he says, and it starts to hint to us about what kind of ruler is going to bring security. He says, This is not a ruler that comes from Jerusalem. This is not what you're necessarily expecting. It's not a ruler that's going to rally and unload all the weapons of the mighty Jerusalem. That's going to rally all the might and warriors from all the great cities of Judah. He says, no, he's going to come from Bethlehem. This is a different type of ruler. It's not this ruler plus the armies of of Israel and Judah. No, it's just this ruler is so unbelievably extraordinary that it doesn't matter where he comes from. It's a different type of ruler altogether than you can imagine. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, let's ask this question. What this passage promises is that that at the birth of this ruler, security will, there'll be a new season of security from the birth of this ruler on. Not at the death of this ruler, not at the resurrection of this ruler, not at the return of this ruler. What this is saying is at the birth of this ruler, it is a new season of dwelling secure. Can I just ask you like a current, like a, uh, a current event question? Over the last like 2,000 years up to today, when you think about the region around Israel in the Middle East, do you think of it as an area marked by security and peace? It's one of the most insecure from a peace standpoint 
regions in the world for the last 2,000 years. So, okay, well, what's happening here? I mean, it, is Micah wrong? Like, did we just find an error in this passage? It says at the birth of the ruler, so at the birth of Jesus, they will dwell secure. Like, it, what's happening here? Well, maybe what is promised, the type of security, is not the type of security we would think. It's not a type of security that comes from a literal, physical warrior ruler that comes out of Jerusalem. It's something that comes out of humble Bethlehem. Maybe the type of security Micah is, is promising, God is promising through Micah, is a type of security that is so much more thoroughgoing and profound and deep than just simply military security. Maybe military security is nothing in compared to the type of security that is being promised by this ruler. I mean, think about it. You can live in a land, in a nation, in a kingdom that has got complete or thorough security from a military standpoint, or at least relative to the rest of the world, and still, even within that, that type of security, be broiled with insecurity, warring with insecurity throughout your entire life. What if the type of security he's bringing is something so much deeper? What if it's the very security we spend our lives deeply longing for? What if it's that same thing we see that a little child, the same impulse that would cause a little child to find something to be their security blanket? What if it's those deep these deep down impulses that humans have for a kind of security so deep down, and what if it's that type of security that this ruler is going to satisfy? Think of it like this. Here's a phrase I want you to think about on the screen. That birth in Bethlehem brought the security our souls are seeking. Can you just let that sink in for a second? That birth in Bethlehem, it brought that security that our souls deep down in places that are operating, driving our lives subconsciously. That birth in Bethlehem brought a security to that place, that deep down security our souls are longing and aching and needing most of our lives. It is all, that security is chiefly found in that baby that was born in the little village of Bethlehem. You say, well, what are you talking about? What, what kind of security? It's, it's actually alluded to in different capacities in this passage. Let's pick this apart a little bit. He says, and they will dwell secure. Well, who's they? He's already described them. I will bring back my family, God says. I will bring back my family and they will dwell secure. If you're taking notes, write this down. The first way we find security. Number one, you are secure in his family. You say, well, what does that mean? Why is that so significant? You know, our family, the families that we grew up in, that plays a massive, monumental, maybe primary role in our sense of security or what our insecurities are. Think of it like this. Whatever family you grew up in, that family has a set of values 
And that family, you can hear by what your parents uh, approve of or what your parents talk about or what the family looks at as, val- as a value. And whatever that value is subconsciously sinks into my life. And then I believe, okay, that's the value. So achieving that, getting that, attaining that is what makes me valuable. And that then is what makes me feel like I belong. And some of our deepest insecurities of where do I belong, who do I belong to, we can trace back to this sense of family. So for example, if in your family growing up, what was valued, like one of the top values was success. I may be subconsciously spending my entire life pursuing, restlessly pursuing success and not realizing that value was pounded in me. So now that's what makes me feel valuable and makes me feel accepted and feels like I belong and that I'm a a treasured part of this unit of my family. It's what I think will make me be something worth being proud of or worth getting approval from. And so I'll pursue, pursue, pursue success trying to achieve Or maybe in the family that I grew up in, maybe it's wealth, or maybe it's not just dollar signs, maybe it's the clothes that are worn, or the place that you live, or the car that you drive, and so I might be subconsciously, that then is the value of the family I grew up in, so that's what makes me feel valuable. So my sense of value goes up and down based on the wealth that I'm accumulating or displaying. And so I may be not realizing spending all of my life trying to get more and more wealth because that's bringing me a sense of belonging and a sense of being valuable. Maybe in your family it was hard work. And so you're spending your life proving that you are a hard worker and you have a work ethic. Maybe it's beauty. And so beauty was what was praised and what was noticed and what was approved of. And so you've spent your life trying to be beautiful, to look beautiful, to look appealing, to look accepted. The way you look is what makes you feel accepted because your beauty is, is also what makes you valuable. And so what drives this desire to belong is whatever that value was. And those are also the places of our deepest insecurities, Because if I'm pursuing something to get and attain a feeling of belonging, then no matter how much I I pursue success, I'll be constantly comparing myself to other people who are more successful and wondering if I belong. Or no matter how much I pursue wealth, it'll never be enough to make me feel valuable or I'll never feel like I can hold on to it and I can control it and keep it. Or no matter how much I, I pursue looking a certain way, I'll always feel insecure or trying to prove that I'm a hard worker. It'll never be enough. It's one of the greatest sources of my insecurity. Deep down, we want to find security that we belong. But notice what this passage says. At the birth of this ruler, it marks God saying something to you. You are his child. And he purchased you. He purchased your belonging to him through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, you are my child. I love you so much. Look to what great lengths I went to to show you how much I love you. In 1 John, it says, behold, it says, stop and look for a second. Stop and realize what great love 
the Father has for you that he would unthinkably call you children of God. He's saying, you are my daughter. He's saying, you are my son. I love you. I know everything about you. I know your past. I know your present. I know every word you've said, every thought that you've thought. I know everything about your DNA and your personality and your tendencies. I know everything about you and I love you and I accept you right there where you're at. If you don't believe how much I love you, he says, look at what I did. I sent Jesus Christ to die for you. That's how much I love you. And I accept you. You belong to me. You don't have to do anything to to achieve or get that acceptance. I just love you that much. I love you more than you could imagine. Paul says, I wish you could just grasp the length and the depth and the height and the breadth of how much God loves you. He says in Psalms, for the, how high the heavens are above the earth, that's how much he loves you. He says, you are my child. Rest that you are secure in the fact that you belong to me. We find security in our sense of belonging. We are secure in his family. But there's another thing. Look at this, number two. You are secure under his reign. You are secure in his family. You are secure under his reign. You know, one of the greatest feelings of insecurity that we can tend to have is this feeling and this desire, not just for belonging, but this desire to be protected. And, and we say, man, there's threatening things happening in my life, but look what this passage says. It says that he, they will dwell secure for he is great. And it's saying this ruler this ruler that was born in Bethlehem, his, he is a great ruler. Nothing happens in his kingdom that he's unaware of. There's a great Bible teacher. Uh, her name is Beth Moore, and I love how she puts it. She says it like this, no matter what happens in your life, you can always say this, my father knows about it. My father knows about this. There's nothing under the reign of Jesus Christ. He is such a great ruler. There's nothing that happens outside of, of him knowing about it. There's nothing that happens outside of that. Your father knows about it. We have nothing, we have nothing to fear. It says in Romans chapter 8, it says, if he did not spare his own son, if he loves you so much that he would give up his own son, Jesus Christ, how much more will he give you all things? If he wouldn't spare Jesus, would he hold anything else back from you? You are secure under his reign. Your father knows about this. Here's number three. You are secure in his family. You are secure under his reign. And number three is you are secure in his land. Did you see what it says at the end of verse four? And they will dwell secure for he will be great to the ends of the earth. You know what that's saying? It's saying his domain. It has no end. It is to the very edges of the earth. In fact, it, has, it cannot be contained in this universe. His reign is over all the universe, and it also is, cannot be contained by time. He reigns forever. You know, one of, some of our greatest insecurities is not just a sense of belonging. It's not just a sense for protection, but it's insecure about our future. You may be here and say, you know, that insecurity is one of my greatest battles. I operate my entire life trying to control my future. I live in panic and worry. 
And I'm always wondering, oh, what's going to happen to the business? And what's going to happen to the kids? And what's going to happen to our finances? And what's going to happen to the economy? And what's going to happen to our country? And what's going to happen over here? And I've got to do everything I can to protect this and protect this and protect this and protect this and, and prepare for the future because the future is always looming and it's, it's always fearful and I'm just trying to find security in my future. But you dwell in the domain of a ruler who has no bounds to his rule. You cannot control the future, but he controls the future. And here's what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, don't you know my father's house has many, many rooms? He said, if it wasn't so, I wouldn't tell you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Do you realize your future is secure? Your future, if you are in Christ Jesus, is eternity in heaven. Your future is not anything that can happen to you in this life. Your future is what happens for eternity in heaven, and that is secure. Jesus didn't say, I go to heaven, and I'm going to be wondering and hoping that you make it here. He says, no, I'm going to heaven, and because you're my follower, I'm getting your place ready, because I know you're going to be here. In 1 John chapter 5, it says this, whoever has the Son has life, period. And I write this to you, John says, I write this to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. Have you put your faith in Jesus? If you've had that moment where you said, God, I realize it's not about me earning heaven because then I'd be up and down and up and down and up and down. I'd never, ever make it. It's not about me earning heaven. It's not about anything that I do. It's about what Jesus did. Have you ever decided to just stop and put your faith in Jesus? Jesus, it's your death on the cross, your resurrection. That's what saves me, nothing else. I receive that gift. I put my faith in you, and I know you're washing me clean, forgiving my sins, past, present, and future. If you have put your faith in Jesus, it's done. Your future is secure. Rest. Don't doubt. Because you're, you say, well, you don't know, I, sometimes I wonder. If you're wondering, it means that you're expecting that your life can earn it. Rest in the fact that the cross is bigger and more powerful than anything you can do. Rest in the fact that your eternity is secure because the cross of Jesus Christ is that powerful. Your eternity is secure. That birth in Bethlehem, man, it brought the security our souls longing for. Here's the challenge, church, this week. This is one of the busiest weeks of the year. School's finishing up. It's, we've got all of the preparations, no shape, when are preparations happening this week? You've got all kinds of parties and, and things to get ready for. I know you're, each of you are going to be serving at probably four out of the five Christmas services. I mean, it's really busy. Okay. And in the busyness of the week, here's the challenge. Find a space this week in your acknowledgement of what we're really celebrating. Find a space. Put a sticky note in your car and, and, and find a space on your commute or set your alarm 20 minutes earlier. So find a space to just clear everything out and just for a second rest in the security that Jesus brought. And just hold up to him and say, Jesus, these are all of my insecurities. And I know that you satisfy all of them. You protect me from all of them. Here are my insecurities. But you have made me dwell secure. You know, one of my favorite uh, scenes in the Charlie Brown Christmas special is uh, one of the crescendos of the movie. And 
I, I want you to check out this scene. I, I think, and, and people have speculated about this, but I, I'm convinced Charles Schultz, the, the creator, the writer, I'm convinced he put this in intentionally, knowing his mindset and, and, how, and, and how he created these characters and how he wrote this movie. I'm convinced he did this on purpose. I want you to watch this scene because Linus has some things to say. But I, I want you to specifically, as you're watching the scene, I want you to watch the blanket. Check this out. I guess you were right, Linus. I shouldn't have picked this little tree. Everything I do turns into a disaster. I guess I really don't know what Christmas is all about. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Christ the Lord. I love that scene because you have Linus who's almost never without his blanket. He walks out and he says the, the shepherds see the angels and he says they're afraid and he kind of pulls his blanket up. But he says, but then the angel said, fear not. And he drops it. And he says, there's a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What are you holding on to for your security? Because at the announcement of Jesus Christ and what he's here to do, you can just drop it. There's only one who truly brings the security that your soul is aching for, and it's Jesus. You belong in his love and his acceptance. You are protected under his reign, and your future is secure. You might be here this morning, you might be here today, and maybe the question you're saying is, look, you know, when you were talking about this, I got to be honest, like if today is my last day on this planet, like if I were to die today, I, I don't know what would happen. I, I don't know for sure that I'd be in heaven, but I, I want to, like I, I want to be secure in that knowledge. I want to know for certain if I were to die today where I'd be. Don't leave here without that certainty because you can know for sure can know it. You can know that your eternity is secure. And it's simply realizing this good news at this Christmas time that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came to earth to die, to pay for our sins, to wash you clean for eternity. Put your faith in what Jesus accomplished through his death and then his resurrection back from, from the dead. Would you put your faith in him today that that is what saves you for eternity? And just say, God, you be my ruler. I realize you've saved me. Now I want you to rule my life. You can take that step today and know for sure, with absolute certainty, that your eternity is secure. Is that you? Do you want to make that decision? Then I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes for a second? If you want to pray that prayer and put your faith in Jesus for the first time, then just pray this simple prayer after me. Make these words your words. Say, Jesus, thank you. Right there in your seat between you and God, just make these your words. Jesus, thank you 
for saving me. Thank you for washing all my sins away permanently. I believe that I will spend eternity with you in heaven. And I surrender my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out our other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call us at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.